Well, good morning. We are going to uh, continue in the Gospel of John this morning. So if you would turn your Bible with me to the Gospel of John chapter 14. Uh, this morning we're going to consider the first uh, 14 verses together. We will pray that God will deliver to us the aim of this text, and then we will read this text and break it down and make observations and applications as we go. I am reminded just how dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God I am this week, as, as this is a, uh, a week of very many distractions, and so my normal order of things is way off. So I am dependent this morning uh, on the Holy Spirit to uh, guide us through our text this morning. I'm also uh, dependent upon the Holy Spirit to work in you that you will put up with me and will be able to track with me (laughs) this morning. So first, let us uh, pray. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning as sons and daughters, and we are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we come boldly as your children this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate the scriptures to our minds that we might understand them. We ask that you would reveal the passage to our hearts that we might believe them. We ask that you would transform our will that we might do them. We want to praise you this morning for the work that you've done in the past year with Vine Medical, the Pregnancy Counseling Center. You have blessed them with the opportunity to serve uh, vulnerable women and children in amazing ways this past year. And we pray for continued impact from this ministry in the lives of those most vulnerable in our community, the unborn. Help us this morning to trust in the Lord Jesus as we live our lives in a world that opposes the kingdom of God. We ask that our minds and our will would be focused on living contrary to the world, living for the kingdom, and we would stand up for the values of the kingdom. And we ask uh, for your grace and your mercy as we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you are able to, would you stand for the reading of God's word from the Gospel of John? We'll begin reading in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to them, said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is God's word. 
You can be seated. So the people of God are known by another term that we don't use that often. But the people of God are people of the promise. They are people of the promise of God. You see, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but it is the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. Trusting in a promise is difficult, isn't it? Just trusting in a promise. Think about that. You cannot physically see a promise. You cannot physically touch a promise. You can't measure it. You can't, with human logic, prove a promise. You see, a promise is believed. A promise is taken upon faith. It is believed by faith. It's acted upon through faith. And as we saw from last week's passage, the Peter in each one of us may have a lot of enthusiasm to say that we will follow the promise, that we, will, that we believe in the promise, and that we will walk according to the promise. But you see, our faith, like Peter's, sometimes proves fickle. Jesus has called the disciples out of the darkness and he's called them into the kingdom of God. And he told them in chapter 10 that he is the door into the kingdom. And this seems possible to the disciples. See, it seems possible to them because if I just stay where Jesus is, I will see the kingdom. Where Jesus goes, I go. They have him there with him, right? Remember when they say, you know, Jesus says, are you going to depart from me too? And they say, where, where would we go? You have the words of life, right? So they know that if they stick with the person of Jesus, that they will see the kingdom of God if they just stay with him. This seems very possible that where Jesus is, if I follow him and I stay close to him, I can enter the kingdom of God. They can see the promises of God as they are fleshed out in the person of Jesus. They can believe and trust Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise, but you see, they can touch him. They can eat with him. They can talk with him. They can learn from him. In chapter 13, Jesus gives him troubling news. He says, where I am going, you cannot come. Peter, you will deny me your faith and it will prove to be fickle. And he tells him another troubling thing. One of you will betray me. And they don't know which one it might be. Even Peter probably has a sinking feeling in himself when Jesus says, you're going to deny me. Oh, could I also be the betrayer? They don't know. And then there's this age-old question that would probably would have troubled them as well. If a man dies, shall he live again? That is an age-old question, even in the most, uh, even in the Jews that really totally believed in the resurrection. But in, in their humanity, there's this question, if a man dies, will he really live again? Because they have to take that upon a promise, don't they? They have to take that upon a promise, that if a man dies, he will really live again. So this is troubling news for them. And so we pick up our text this morning with Jesus addressing the troubled hearts of the disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Maybe some of your translations might render this that you believe in God as him making a statement. Believe also in me. But the Greek translation is an imperative on both parts. It is an instruction. It's an admonition. 
Have faith in the promises of God. Believe the words of my Father. Believe what I have taught you. Believe the evidence of my work while I was with you. Trust in me also. It's an imperative. It's an instruction. You see, so we are saved by faith, but we are being saved through faith. Right? We we are saved by faith, but we are also being saved through faith. So then... What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 in the King James says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, so by sight, the disciples have followed Jesus. But according to Hebrews 11, it wasn't faith necessarily that caused them to follow, right? There was some benefit in following Jesus. But was it necessarily by faith? Because it was seen. What makes it faith is that it's unseen, the unseen faith, the unseen things that they believe, the unseen promises of God that they follow. It's evident in the believer's heart, and it is a witness to the truth. I believe. I believe in these things unseen. It's the substance of faith. Trust in me, Jesus says, but you're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight. What does walking by faith look like in a world that contradicts the scriptures and denies God? It is that the Christian says in his or her heart, I do not like my circumstances. Everything seems impossible. Everything seems hopeless. The future looks dim. Yet, I trust the promises of God. I trust in what the scriptures say about the promises of God. I trust in Jesus Christ. I trust fully in his atoning death for me. I trust that he will take me all the way home. By faith, I believe in the character of God. I trust that God is working all things together for good to the called according to his purposes. See, sometimes we say, well, I trust in God, but I I really want my purposes to be done. Right? But this promise in the scripture says that we're to trust in the promises that are according to his purposes, right? We can trust in those for sure. They are trustworthy. Well, now let us move forward to verse 2 through 5. In my house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So Jesus has, is telling these guys, don't be troubled. Trust in God. Walk by faith, not by sight. The answer to the age-old question, yes, a man shall die and he shall live again. I go to prepare a place for you. Don't be troubled. God has room for all that he has chosen. When he says he goes to prepare a place, there's no one that God has called that there won't be a room for them. He's not going to exhaust the rooms, right? It's not going to be full. You just can't get in. He's going to prepare a place for you. There there will be room for you. Don't be troubled. God has a room for you. I have shown you the way. I have taught you the way of the kingdom. I have told you where I'm going. And where I'm going is by faith. It may have troubled the disciples to understand, well, what are we going to do now if you go away? 
How now shall we live? Isn't that a question that we ought to ask ourselves too? Like as we are born again and we say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ. There should be a question in your heart. You should ask this of yourself maybe every day. How now shall I live? How do I live? How do I live in light of what Christ has done for me? How do I live in this world that is contrary to Him? What is my guide? What is my compass? I have shown you the way. I have taught you the way of the kingdom. I have told you how to attain eternal life. It may have troubled them. Where do I go? Well, the answer, quite simply, is repent and believe the gospel. This is how you go. You repent and believe. It is a walk of faith. I have shown you to walk by faith. If it is true that a man shall live again eternally, what shall I do with this life? This question is as old as the oldest text of Scripture. In Job chapter 14, verse 14, Job asks and answers this question himself. He says, if a man dies, shall he live again? And then his answer, how do I go forward? If it be true, if it be true that a man shall live again, how do I live going forward? He says this, all the days of my service, I would wait. I would wait until my renewal should come. You would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands. For then you would number my steps. You would keep watch over my sin. My transgressions would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. See, if a man trusts that God will one day raise him again to eternal life, he will serve the Lord until the day of his resurrection. This is what Job says way back then. That if a man knows that he will live again, that he will live eternally, he will spend his days serving the Lord, waiting for his renewal and his redemption. The work of his hands would be pleasing to the Lord, Job says. He would entrust himself to the Lord each step of the way, knowing that God is guiding him, God is directing him, God is protecting him, God is helping him. He would also trust that the Lord who promised eternal life is not counting his transgressions against him, but has in fact cast sin as far as the east is from the west. Job uses that it's put in a bag, right? It's carried off. The, the way of the temporal life is faith in the promises of God for eternal life. That's the way of this temporal life that we live in. It is faith in the promises of God for eternal life. And what is that? That is the life filled with substance, isn't it? It's a life filled with the substance of faith. A faith that has substance. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? To say that is to have missed the plenty times Jesus said that I am returning to the Father. This is where you know where I'm going, he says. Right? He says, you know where I'm going. Thomas says, how can we know where you're going? We don't, we don't even know where you're going, so how can we know the way to get there? And Jesus says, be, we'll begin here to tell them that the way to the Father is through me by faith. It's the only way. 
I would ask us this morning, is your heart troubled? Are you consumed this morning, sometimes with the trouble over the divisions that we have in our nation? Are you troubled with your own personal financial difficulties, troubled with relationships? I would ask you this, how closely are you trusting and following Jesus? And what I mean by that is how is your prayer life? Is it an afterthought? Is it an add-on to dinner? Or is it an add-on to other activities? Or is it purposed and intentional? Is your number one priority seeking the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Seeking His presence in prayer. Hearing the voice of God in His Word. Serving Him. Doing work that pleases Him while you await your complete renewal by faith. Faith in Christ may not change the troubles that you experience. They may not change the troubles you experience in the temporal life. They may not, they may not even change the divisions that we are experiencing in our country right now. It, that may not change this temporal life. But faith in Christ will prevent you from being distressed in your heart will keep you from being distressed in your heart and discouraged in this life. Jesus promises in chapter 16 of John's gospel that in this world there will be trouble. He then says, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You see, what Jesus is, is really communicating them here is that if you place your trust in me by faith, I will make you an overcomer. I am making you an overcomer by faith, if you'll just trust in me. As we move forward to verses 6 and 7, they may be uh, the most, one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So again, he's emphasizing that I am going to the Father. There's a way. There's not multiple ways. There's the way to the Father, and I'm it. Jesus is saying, I am the way to the Father, and that happens by exercising faith, by trusting in the promises of God, by trusting in the things unseen, by believing the words that I have spoken to you, by believing that the works of God have been done through me, Jesus would say. This is your trust. This is your hope. This is your future. This is the way to the Father. It is through me. Jesus declares a great deal in these two verses. I am the substance of the promises of God in whom you are commanded to trust. As it begins, believe in God, believe also in me. That is not a request. It's not a suggestion. It is a command from the Lord himself. Believe in God, believe also in me. If you're ever going to get to heaven, if you're ever going to get to the place where I am going and the rooms that I am preparing for you, you will have to get there by faith. You will have to trust in the promises of God and you will have to trust that the promises of God have been fulfilled in me. That's the only way to get there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is saying, I am the object upon which a person's faith must rest. I am the God in whom you are to trust until I return to bring you to myself, until I return to deliver you to my Father in heaven. I am who you are to trust when you cannot see the way forward in a world full of trouble. It is faith in me alone that will bring you to the Father. There is no other way. 
It is Christ alone through faith alone. There is no such thing as this is your truth and this is my truth. That's what the world would tell us, that there's a truth, I have a truth, and you just need to make your truth known. That's silliness. There's the truth, and it was manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. There's the truth of God manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. There's no your truth and my truth. Jesus is the truth of God. Jesus is the truth from the source. There is no eternal life except for that which is given to us in Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life is another way of saying the thing that we confessed this morning, that Jesus is the promised prophet. Jesus is the promised priest. Jesus is the promised king. I'm going to throw a whole bunch of passages at you, and I hope that I go slow enough that you can jot these down and look at them later. But first, as priest, Jesus is the way to the Father. Psalm 110 Verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And Hebrews 12, 24, and to Jesus, he is the mediator of a new covenant and to, be, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. In John 1, 29, it says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, that is John the Baptist, and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, this is, Jesus is, is the, is the uh, priest that is the way to God, but he is also the sacrifice as the way to God. He is both the he is the mediator of the covenant and takes both ends of it. He is the priest to his God, and he is the sacrifice. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works and serve the living God. As prophet, Jesus is the truth of the Father. As a prophet, Jesus is the truth of the Father. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This is Moses saying, Jesus is coming. There is a promised uh, prophet greater than me who is coming. To him you must listen. Way back in Deuteronomy, speaking of Jesus, he's saying the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from among your brothers and it is to him that you shall listen John 1:14 says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth and Hebrews 1:2 says in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also he created the world as king, Jesus is the giver of life. Psalm 2, verse 6 says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. 
And just as we remember from the beginning of John's Gospel, he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Verse 8. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus declares that they have all witnessed the Father working through him. You have been a witness, an eyewitness, to God the Father working through me. How can you say you don't know the Father? I have shown you the Father as He has been working through me. Believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is working through me. Believe me when I tell you, or just let the works themselves tell you. You have the works before you that can tell you that I and the Father are one and that He is in me. You remember that Jesus, when He washed the disciples' feet, He said that I have given you an example of what the servant of God does in loving others, taking the lowest position for the benefit of their brothers. Jesus has also given an example of the priorities that one ought to live in by pleasing the Father by faith. He's given them examples. Remember from John chapter 4, Jesus said to the disciples when they came back, and they said, you know, where have you gotten food, right? You've got to be hungry. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So if I asked you this morning, what does it mean to imitate Jesus? Most of you might answer this, to be loving, to be humble, and to serve others. But what if I asked it in a different way? I said, what if I asked you, I said, what does it mean to imitate Jesus' priorities in life and in ministry. What did Jesus prioritize in his life and in his ministry? First, Jesus prioritized the work of the kingdom, didn't he? I must be about my father's business. I am working as he is still working now. He taught them how the kingdom worked. He spoke often of how this is how the kingdom of God works. The work of God, according to the will of God, was Jesus' priority. It was his priority in his life. He was obedient to a kingdom of agenda, even to the point of death on a cross. Jesus' life was marked in his humanity by dependence as well. He thought equality with God not a thing to be grasped, right? So everything that Jesus did on earth, he did in his humanity, in his fully human self. Well, how then? See, this is good news. This is good news for you and me. If we really get a hold of this, that Jesus, everything he did, he did in his humanity. And he was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit worked through him and accomplished those things by faith. By faith in the promises of the Father, right? If we get this, it's good news for us. That that which God has called you to do, how he's called you to live for him, you can do. It is, it is, it is available to you. But you must be dependent 
upon the Holy Spirit to do the work through you. You can't do it yourself. You must be empowered, and you must have the Spirit of God working in you to accomplish it. But it's really good news. I mean, I hope this is a red-letter day if you get this. Because God calls us to some pretty big things, doesn't he? But he wouldn't call it to it, call us to him if we couldn't do it. If he wouldn't enable us. If he wouldn't work through us. Right? If we would empty ourselves and allow the Spirit of God to work through us, we can accomplish all that God has asked us to. So Jesus was dependent upon the Holy Spirit to work through his humanity to accomplish the work of God. And Jesus prioritized dependent prayer, didn't he? When Jesus was with the guys and he was done teaching, done healing, wore out from it in his humanity, wore out, where would they find him? Off by himself, seeking the Father in prayer. He was dependent upon prayer, dependent upon the Spirit of God. Jesus faced all of the issues of the day and the way we face the issues of the day, right? He faced all the issues. And as he faced the issues, what was his tool? What did he pull out to use to address the issues of the day? Things that you and I have. The Word of God. He knew the Word of God, and he applied the Word of God to all the issues of the day. In their context, he just applied the Word of God to their day. He used the Word of God to speak into the issues of the temporal life that he was here on earth to do. And then Jesus lived a life of worship. Jesus exalted the Father for all that was being accomplished through him. He acknowledged the Father, that it is the Father's will that was being worked out through me. That the Father had sent the Spirit to, to, to come down on him and say, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. It is the Spirit that empowered him. It is to the glory of God that Jesus lived. He acknowledged that God had done all things uh, through him. And it was the God who had made him to be what he was. And finally, Jesus prioritized in, uh, authentic, intentional relationships with kingdom people, didn't he? As I said last week, right, that the, those who are born again love what Jesus loves. They love who Jesus loves. Well, if you love who Jesus loves, you got to be where the people are that Jesus loves. And hopefully the people whom Jesus loves want to be with the people whom Jesus loves. And so they gather together on a Sunday morning like we are and say, that guy might annoy the tar out of me, but Jesus died for him, Jesus loves him, and so I'm going to love him by faith. I'm going to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to uh, enable me to love him impossibly, to be able to lay my life down for him, to be able to take the lowest spot so that he might be exalted, even though the guy annoys me, because Jesus loves him. And Jesus died for him. And Jesus has commanded that I love whom he loves. And he has changed my affections. So if it's pleasing to God, those are the things I love. And Jesus loves knuckleheads like you and me, right? Like each one of us. But Jesus prioritized these authentic relationships with kingdom people, where God's people were you, were sure that Jesus was going to be there. Where Jesus was, though, he spoke the truth to kingdom people too, right? This is, that's authentic love, authentic relationships 
speak the truth to the people we love? Do you desire to imitate Jesus' attributes? I think that we all do of humility and love and grace and mercy and all of those things. But if you desire to imitate Jesus' attributes, I think it is just as important that you adopt his priorities. The priorities of the born again are kingdom work, Holy Spirit dependence to accomplish the work and the will of God, tapped into the Spirit through dependent prayer, knowing and using the Word of God as the tool to accomplish the work of God, living in honest, intentional relationship with God's kingdom people, ready with praise on your lips for what God in Christ Jesus has done, is doing, and trusting in the promise of what God in Christ Jesus will do for us in the future. Those are Jesus' priorities, and I think they ought to be the priority of the church. We ought to adopt those priorities as well as his humility, as well as his love, as well as his mercy, as well as his grace. Verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus tells the disciples that his earthly ministry was sort of limited by his presence in this location. If you have faith in me, if you depend on me in prayer, the kingdom of God will expand exponentially, he tells them. The kingdom of God will go forward exponentially if I go away to the Father. Wherever you go, you see, you carry the kingdom of God. You know, do you have Jesus in you? Are you in Jesus? That's what being a Christian means, right? When you say, I am a Christian, it means that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. When you, when you understand that by faith, then you know that the kingdom of God goes where I go. Christ in me. Me in Christ. As I go, the kingdom of God goes with me. This is how the kingdom expands. This is how the kingdom grows. Wherever you go, that you carry the kingdom. And Jesus says, I am with you, with you. Lo, to the end of the age, I am with you as you go. With the kingdom of God as your priority, with the glory of God, your aim. Guess what? When you pray, if the kingdom of God is your priority, if the glory of God is what you're aiming at, I don't want us to hear these last two verses as name it and claim it like some of our brethren do in other uh, denominations. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You've probably heard these false teachers on TV or other places. All you got to do is have faith and ask the Lord and He'll give you a brand new lab Lamborghini. See, I trusted by faith, this preacher might say, that God would give me a Learjet and look at my wonderful watch, right? Look at the clothes I wear. Look at the place where we worship. I just asked in Jesus' name and I trusted Him. Do you have that kind of trust? You know, those are the kind of questions they pose, right? Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of trust? No. You see, if the kingdom of God, and as Jesse sang with us this morning, 
seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right? If we are seeking first the kingdom of God and we are seeking the righteousness of God and if, if our aim is to glorify God, then independent prayer, guess what? We ask for kingdom things. And when we ask for kingdom things, then we have finally prayed aright. Right? We're before the Lord, we have finally prayed aright. Is there anything that God would withhold from us if we are aiming at the kingdom, if we are aiming at His glory, if the priorities of Christ are the priorities of us and we go to Him in honest, dependent prayer, is there anything that God would withhold from us? And Jesus here says, no. Whatever you ask in my name, with the right priorities, this I will do that God may be glorified in me. And God may be glorified in us as we do that. Can you trust that God will withhold nothing from you until he accomplishes the will and the work of the kingdom on earth? That's your job, brothers and sisters. That's my job. Our job here is to bring the kingdom of God and to announce this truth. Right? When you announce the gospel, you announce the same thing that was announced by Jesus and announced of Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's our message. That is our message, brothers and sisters. The kingdom of God is at hand. Christ in me. I believe by faith. I'm trusting in the promises of God. I'm dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I'm in prayer. The word of God is ever on my lips, as is praise for who God is and what God has done for me in Christ Jesus. And I declare to the world outside of me, this kingdom that is in conflict with one another, conflict with the kingdom of Christ for sure, I claim the kingdom of God is at hand. And I follow it with what Jesus said. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sin and believe by faith. The only way you're going to get there is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. The only truth is that which he possesses. Truth given to him from the Father. It is Jesus Christ, the, the holder of all truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. The kingdom of God is at hands, is at hand. So, what I might want you to leave here with today is this. When you walk out the door this week, the first thing I want you to do when you walk out these doors and you head to your car is say to yourself all the way to the car, the kingdom of God is at hand and Christ is in me. The Christ I proclaim is in me. He's working through me. The promises of God are true. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then when you get up tomorrow morning and you get ready to go to work in the kingdom of the world, I want you to go to work on your way to work saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Christ is in me. He's working in me. This is my message. This is my message to the world that is contrary. I trust in the promises of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then take that to the next day and the next day and the next day. And I bet you, I would bet you, that when you get here next week, if you've done that all week long, you will come in with a word of praise on your lips. You will be praising God for all that He is doing in you because you're, mind, you're mindful of His kingdom. You're mindful of Christ in you. You're mindful of your dependence upon Him. You're mindful also of just the power that you can tap into because the Word of God tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead works in us. It lives in us. 
The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and works in us. Tap into the power of God, trusting in Jesus Christ to do that work through us by faith, by faith alone in Christ alone. Let us take a moment of silence to reflect upon God's word and how he might be calling us to respond to his word. And Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to make the kingdom of God our priorities. Help us to trust in the promises, Father, that you have given us in the person of Jesus. Help us to remember that all of the promises of God are yes and amen in the person of Jesus Christ. Help us to remember that this week. Help us to be prayerful. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We give you praise for all that you are doing in us. And Lord, we trust our future fully to you, that your promises will come true and that you are preparing a place for us, but you're enabling us to live in this life according to your kingdom. So Lord, we give you praise for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.